going to let her sing in Hebrew again. So if Jesus were here, this is what he would sing. Amen. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord today. Are you happy that you're in the house of God today? There's so many places we could be today, but we would never feel what we're feeling in this place because he's here. He inhabits the praise of his people. And I love to be in a church that praises God because I know that he draws near when we worship him. You might be going through something, but he draws near if you praise him anyway. Praise him through the storm. Praise him through the trouble. Praise him when things go well. In 2004, the Lord made a way for us to literally register the International Biblical College in the city of Jeru in the country of Israel. It's a registered entity. And we were so excited because we were, we're an underground church also. And we were told we could not register a church at all. So we, we got that registration after 14 months of praying and crying and asking God and believing God. And it just, everybody said it happens faster than that. It shouldn't take that long. And one day on a Sunday morning, we had an international group that morning and, and our, we called him Pastor Bob in those days, but he's elevated to Dr. Bob now. But, and everybody affectionately calls him either Dr. Bob or the bishop now because of his age, I guess. So anyway, and uh, me, you can call me whatever you want to. My name is Elizabeth also, but I'm called Beth. And we, he, he got up in front of the church and said, we're going to fast and pray for the Lord to let us have this registration. We need this. So we began to fast and pray, and he went up there on Monday. Actually, Sunday's a business day in Israel because our Sabbath, or Shabbat, is on Friday night through Saturday evening. And so everything's closed then, so everything operates on Sunday. But we've chosen to have at least a service on Sunday. We also have Saturday services. And so we were all fasting and praying and waiting, and I waited at home while he went up there. He came home and said, I have to go back tomorrow, or excuse me. He had quite a story to tell when he came home. He came home and said that he walked in there, and his Hebrew wasn't well enough for him to just converse with people. And the Lord had a lawyer from New York in a back office who was an important man. And he came out and he said, I'll interpret for you. I'll take you. I'll find what you need. That was a man from God because he had some authority. The Lord knows how to use people in authority. He does it so well. He just makes it look like that's the way it was supposed to be. And so this man takes him around and they can't find, they can't even find the application can't find what's wrong, can't find the paperwork. So he goes into this guy, another lawyer named Shmuel. Shmuel's got an ugly look on his face. He's not happy. He doesn't like the International Biblical College. We've learned since that day that biblical just automatically makes you Christian if you use the word biblical. They talk about the Bible, but they don't talk about biblical. That's a Christian phrase. So Shmuel was not happy. And this lawyer from New York says, I want you to check. I want you to find this paper book, paperwork down in a bottom drawer underneath a lot of stuff. Shmuel had hidden our paperwork so that no one would ever see it. But God saw it and God said, no way. So hallelujah. They told my husband, come back tomorrow. You'll have it. So he, he gets on the phone, texts everybody. Keep praying, keep fasting, we have to go back tomorrow. So on Tuesday he went in 
and we were fasting and praying and I was busy in my home when I got the call and this man is literally weeping wherever he is he was literally weeping saying we got it I've got the paperwork in my hand we are registered in Israel as a biblical college praise God and he was so excited well I just chose to respond differently we had a house with a courtyard in the middle, so we had to walk quite a ways from the bedrooms all the way around to the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen. I take off running around. That was a wonderful shouting area. I ran all around praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I didn't care what the neighbors thought. After that, for months, we might be in bed going to bed at night, and we'd look at each other and say, we've got this paperwork. The Lord's doing something. He'd start crying, and I'd have to jump up and start running because the we just reacted differently. Praise God for what he's doing. This, this week, we have new missionaries that have gone to Israel, the Dennis Moore family. And they, are, they returned yesterday, had a hard time getting out of the Tel Aviv airport because Brother Moore's lost 80 pounds in the last year. And his passport picture did not match his thin body. He, he had a horrible time. They made it last minute on the plane. He's coming home to go to the Israeli embassy for the first time. We've been there 21 years in May. For the first time, he's going to be able to go to the Israeli embassy and get a visa as a clergy member a person in the country of Israel. We give God all the glory for that. That's a pure miracle that we have been 21 years in the making. We are so thankful. Now, Brother McFarland... Dr. Bob could have taken that visa, but knowing we were coming home to travel in America, he said, no, we want Brother and Sister Moore to have it. We don't want anybody to have to go in and out of the country every three months like we did. Let me tell you something real quickly. I know I'm going too long, but there, there, it was impossible to be a missionary in Israel. If you were there prior to 1948, if your church was there, and we know some groups like Lutheran and Nazarene and Assembly of God, they were all there prior to 48. They can be there as missionaries. They're grandfathered in. But the United Pentecostal Church was there prior to 48 in, an, in the Arabic side, actually in uh, East Jerusalem. And the Urshans who were there at the time had to leave the country. Well, they actually were here traveling, and they were never allowed back in. So that church has never been recognized. The Lord did give us recognition and registration in Palestine. When it becomes a nation, we're already there, ready to go. That was another miracle that God used Brother Anthony Mangan to talk to President Bill Clinton, who spoke with Yasser Arafat. And people say, how did this happen? I don't know. God used a donkey in the Bible to accomplish what he wanted to say. He can use anybody. Praise God. I'm so glad that I know this great God. I'm so glad that we don't go to Israel and work on our own steam. We're pretty smart, but we're not that good. We're good, but not that good. But he is, you sang it today, he is good. He is the very definition of good. He knows what he's doing, and he's a great God.
no one like our Jesus. You may be seated. I do want to say that I feel humbled to be here, to be in the work of God, and to be a part of this great international kingdom of God that is sweeping the world. And uh, to give you a, uh, we roll our, we're going to walk you through our building in Jerusalem right here. From There's the front door, the keypad, looking down the hallway. Over to the left, there is the administration. That's the tour building, tour company. We're in the administration room, looking out his window. We're 15 floors above Jaffa Street. That's a 30-mile view out across the city of Jerusalem and the countryside. Uh, this is one of our classrooms. This is our conference area. And uh, we're looking at our smart screen so we can have conference from anywhere in the world in that room. One of our students sitting there looking out the studio windows. We can seat 130 people in there, strategically placed. There's our teleconferencing. We can broadcast. We can we do television broadcast and uh, audio broadcast. And that's called the Jerusalem Crossroads because we came up with that name due to the fact that all of our operations come in there. Hebrew is taught, English is taught, Bible school is taught, English usually in our standard services, messianics come in, use the place in Hebrew and other languages, Russians are involved in there. Within the city of Jerusalem, there's 85 languages are spoken. Somebody says, well, do you speak Hebrew? Well, I guess that depends on who you're asking. <laughs> they asked me, said, do you speak Hebrew fluent? And I said, nobody speaks Hebrew fluent. <laughs> I've, I can tell if a Russian is speaking Hebrew or an Arab is speaking Hebrew <laughs> or an American is speaking Hebrew. Uh, and yet we can all understand each other. But it's... Uh, it's quite a language. Uh, give you a very brief overview. Let's count to one through ten. How about let's start in Spanish? Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Come on. Cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez. All right. All right. Well, then let's go to Arabic. Wahed, nein, thlath, araba, khamsa, sitte, sabata, man, yatisa, ashara. All right, let's go back to Hebrew. Chad, stein, shlosh, araba, chamesh, sheesh, shevesh, monetesh, eser. And I have been in stores with a guy leaning on his phone talking Hebrew conversing with the somebody else stocking the shelf down there in Arabic and selling me something in English. And nobody gets mixed up. 
it's quite a place, quite a place. But uh, the, the Lord has been so good. This, what you see here, is basically the first asset that is back on the ground since Acts 2 for the apostolics. So we are very excited about it, and we believe that uh, there, there were, as a matter of fact, it's a long story. I'm writing most of this in a book. I've started in the year of 1995, and I'm currently working in the year of 2001 from our journals, and with the name of the book will be called Living in the Promised Land. So uh, uh, it will be available shortly. But I do want to just address a few things here uh, this morning, and uh, I asked the bishop here if he would read for me in Matthew chapter 20. Get a mic, okay. Uh, listen to this record of Matthew. Now, Matthew is written in your Bible first, but Mark was written before Matthew. And uh, it's a long story, and I don't want to get into all the history of it, but uh, the probabilities that Matthew was written originally in Hebrew. Uh, I do have an Aramaic copy of Matthew that is 200 years older than the oldest Greek copy that we have. Uh, to date, there's never yet been an original primary source text of Matthew in Hebrew uh, opened up. But uh, what I want to do is, is compare a few things. In America, we are considered Westerner. We're considered uh, industrialist. And we are, as far as I am concerned, the greatest nation in the world, on the world, for the world. And uh, the world needs to appreciate that. Sometimes they don't as much as I'd like. But uh, we are Americans, and that's the way it is. However, the, bi the Bible was not necessarily originally written for Americans. As a matter of fact, did you ever stop and think how many New Testament saints ever read the New Testament? They were it. So we need to understand the culture of the Eastern thinking to give us an impression of what the Scripture is really saying. Now, generally speaking, the, the Scripture is written so that anybody in any language and any culture can find salvation. And I believe that's true. Uh, I, have, I have had people sitting, uh, witnessing to them, and we were sitting in a coffee shop with a, a glass of water and had some ice in it. And by the time we got the vapor to condense on the outside and the ice solid on the inside and the liquid surrounding the solid, I took off and we had a baptismal service from a coffee shop glass of water. Uh, you know, the way I look at it, the first service I was ever in in Israel was in a room uh, about 
10-foot square. Had a couch, a love seat, a coffee table, and a rocking chair. And there were four people in there. And uh, the young man playing a guitar, actually it was six, I forgot, us, me and, and uh, our friend there. And Willie was playing the guitar, and he turned around and said, okay, now we're going to have uh, Brother McFarland preach. And I'm sitting in the rocking chair. And uh, I don't have any better sense than to think, you know, the Lord wants to see people get saved anywhere, under any condition, from any background, to the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. And as a result, I just said, okay, let me just stop. And I stood up and I said, how many in this room does not have the Holy Ghost? Two of them raised their hand. I said, how many are not baptized? Two of them raised their hand. And I scooted the coffee table halfway between the love seat and the couch, and I started in, and in about 40 minutes, we had the two needing baptized going in the water in the bathtub, and the two that were receiving the Holy Ghost were talking in tongues while we were baptizing. So, you know, I just, at my age, I can afford to be crazy. Oh, glory. So uh, what I want to do is take a parable that Jesus gave, and I want to convert it to prophecy from a simple understanding that I believe Jesus calculated this story ever so carefully for such a time as this. 2017, we are in the Bible. I'm going to ask the, the pastor here to read uh, Matthew 20. Is it, you got a King James? Okay. Let's, uh, there's countless translations out there, but I use a King James because it's got all the codes in it. So see me after service, we'll talk codes. Okay, if you'll read that for us. Verse 1 through 12. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. And when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. 
And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, but thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. Thank you. Everybody said amen. What we're looking at, and uh, if you're taking notes, I'm going to need some help because I, I forget quickly. So how many hours are there in a day here? That's western. Now let's go eastern. How many hours are in the day? Twelve hours. And there are four watches at night. So the day starts at sundown. And it has the four watches of the night. And then comes the dawn. And let's use our Rolex here. I'm wondering if Jesus were alive today, would he wear a Rolex? Um, no. But uh, the question is, let's, for simplicity, let's start at 6 o'clock till 6 o'clock for a 12-hour day. Okay? Now, so we're looking at, and, and this is more than just a story because this is a literal place. It's outside Babylamud or the Damascus Gate. It's a large parking lot. And uh, before dawn, you can go down there, and there are hundreds of workmen gather in that place. And uh, they will gather with uh, a little satchel, and you can look at it and see this guy's an electrician. And you can look at the next guy, and, and he does plumbing work. And more people, more of these workers, have what we call in this country a cutoff tool, a, a grinder. Because you can use him in metal. He can do working around building and laboring and construction. And uh, Sister McFarland and I were going to move one time, and we got uh, three or four Russians, big boys, and got uh, a truck, and we moved in a day. Uh, so uh, whatever is the need you have, you can get it in this before dawn work pool that gathers there. And so it's when, when Jesus is telling this story, the Damascus Gate, uh, the parking lot, today it's asphalt, and his day would have been probably gravel or dirt, and where we have electric, uh, you know, cutoff tools and welders and whatever else and trucks sitting there, they would have just been standing there with a scythe, you know, a, a little hook for cutting grain. And so... This uh, owner comes in, and he gathers up this group. Now, help me out. What was the contract? How much money did you get paid for the day? Penny a day. I'm not going to go into all the detail of how much that's involved, but that basically is a, uh, a, an annual wage. So they're going to work one day for the whole year. That money's going to last them a whole year. So it's very important to uh, get the job. So as this 
day continues. At uh, He gathers with these guys. He makes the deal. They've got the price. And uh, at uh, three hours later, so what time is it three hours later? Nine o'clock. He comes back and finds some still there. And now notice he doesn't renegotiate the price. He uses a phrase, whatsoever is right. Now, some of the scripture you have to use what we call in our academic area a natural pursuit to a logical conclusion. If you use a natural, in other words, you know, some folks like to pay their tithes in a really great flourish. They take all their money, throw it up in the air, tell God to keep what he wants, and whatever he doesn't want, it'll just fall back down, and that's what they'll take. That is a natural conclusion. Not a whole lot of it stays up there, trust me. So you've got to be able to understand logic here. And the scripture is written to, to give us an understanding of basic logic. So we learn that the price is not renegotiated. But it is stated that basically whatever amount of work you do, you will receive just payment for that amount of work. Right? Isn't that what that means? Whatsoever is right. Now, comes noon. He finds another bunch. They go out. Comes 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Finds another bunch. He goes out. Now, this is where it gets real interesting. It's 5 o'clock. Got one hour to work. He comes up on these guys. Now, a natural pursuit to a logical conclusion. Why are these guys still there at 5 o'clock? They gave themselves a great boost of courage saying nobody's hired us. In reality, they were too dumb to do anything for anybody all day long. Everybody that came in there to get somebody did not want that bunch. A natural pursuit to a logical conclusion they had zero talent they had no tools they had no experience how long could that list go and he says the same thing to them go ahead give it a shot whatever is right We'll make it up to you. Now, let's jump ahead. It's payment time that following this story. Very quickly, how much did everybody get paid? One penny. Now, let's look at the first guys, the 12-hour guys. What was their gripe? 
they didn't gripe about how much work was done, but they griped about conditions. Now, let's back up what's not written in there, and this is where I jokingly say churches are really blessed to have me because where the Bible is silent, that's where I'm here to tell you what it would have said if it would have written that. But the way this works, each owner has bags, grain bags, and his name is written on them. And when you come in, you come in with your scythe, and he gives you the bag. And the idea is you fill one bag in one day for one day's wages. And so, and then, of course, uh, they, they would take these bags and they would go into the uh, granary and lay them up. And then throughout the year, the owner of the granary would pull that bag down and make the grain from that or make the flour or the, the cooking, whatever it was, from that grain and take the money for that empty bag and give it back to the owner. He gets money all year long. And he gets his bag back next harvest time. He passes the same bags out and fills them up again. This is how economy runs over there. So the understanding is you're going to work all day and you're going to get the bag full. Everybody with me? <coughs> a natural pursuit to a logical conclusion if the one-hour guys got whatsoever was right or a penny, how full did they fill their bag? I could probably conjure up a million messages on the difference of the labor between a 12-hour guy and a one-hour guy with no tools. These one-hour guys were doing things nobody had ever done before. They were scratching, grabbing, clawing, throwing, chasing the sunset. They had an intensity that the 12-hour guys didn't have. Feel the Holy Ghost moving in here right now. There is something happening here. In Jesus' prophecy, There is a five o'clock crew going to come over this world and do a 12-hour job in 60 minutes. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be desperate. It's going to be intense. 
it's going to be one of the most unusual, dynamic blasts of revival to sweep this world. And I believe it's happening right now. Right now. You don't have to go to some foreign country. You can do it in school. You can do it on a job. You can do it on your school bus. You can do it in Walmart. It does not matter. Wherever there is people. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the Holy Ghost doing something right here. I need some music here. Let me wrap this up just a little bit. I don't know the needs of this congregation. Don't need to. But I've been in the business long enough to know that there's some people... I'm going to just walk out here on thin ice and I can afford it. There's some people in this room that have fantasized on what they could do for the Lord if conditions were different. If they were in a different status. If they were older. If they were younger. If they were uh, whatever. Different gender. I'm here to tell you right now, if this scripture is true, and I believe every word of that Bible is true, and that in the prophetic arena, the Lord is telling us a day will come when it's the last hour, and it's not going to be made up of qualified, certified, amplified saints. It's going to be a bunch that realize this bag must be full. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, If it tears up my hands, I'll heal them tomorrow. But I'm going to get this bag full before the 6 o'clock hour. Man, there's a Holy Ghost move in this place right now. I challenge this congregation. If you've ever had a thought of something you wanted to do for God, today is your day to make the commitment, and tomorrow is the day of execution of what you decide today. There'll never be another moment like this. Time cannot run backwards. Let's talk to the Lord here for just a minute. Father, sweet Jesus, loving Savior, almighty creator of all things made. Look into our hearts, Lord. Survey our humanity. Let us go from visionaries to actuaries. Let us go from dreams to action and reality. Wild thoughts become execution of those thoughts from this day forward from this moment forward. 
the authority of the power of your name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The Holy Ghost is moving in this room right now. Somebody's going to walk out of here completely revolutionized, totally, completely changed with a vision that has no horizon. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come on, let's talk to the Lord here again. Let's talk to the Lord here. Jesus, Jesus. God is moving in this house right now. We want church in a way that we can't control it and we can't manage it. We want God to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And it looks something like this. I'm not exactly sure what to do. You're not exactly sure what to do. It puts us on edge a little bit. But God is doing something special in this house today. Why don't you stand with me right now all across this room? What a powerful, powerful word from God. There's some challenge in in this room today from the spirit of the living God. There is a challenge to step out from the status quo. I have told you my dream, my vision, and this so confirms that I am so sick of church it, that, that we that we control and, and that we that we manage and micromanage and hypermanage. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of cool church. Uh, I'm sick of traditional church. I, I, and I, I just feel like God is wanting to challenge us today in our walk with Him. He is wanting to do some great things. And it, it, and it just just such a man. God has teed this up for us today. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're going to do. There's needs in this house from healing. There's needs in this house to turn into Jesus in the first place. There's needs in this house to being filled with the Spirit. Needs in this house to committing in water baptism. There's needs in this house to a call on your life that you've not surrendered to. There are needs in this house to to God's calling you to be close and walk with Him. And you've kind of kept it at bay. There There is a challenge in the Spirit today. And what I want you to do is I want you, if you feel that tweaking and that challenging and that nudge and that call, I want you to come up front. And and I I want, I I don't want to ask too much of the McFarlands, but I want, as you feel led, brother and sister McFarland, to pray for these that have come up front. Some men, uh, this is a man and a woman that have walked in challenging tight spots. And this is a prophetic word. And tomorrow's going to be different. This church is going to be different tomorrow. And your life is going to be different tomorrow. You don't have to walk out of this building the same way you walked in. It can be totally different. And the Holy Spirit is challenging us right now. Come on up front right now.